Hey guys, welcome to Tree Bark. Um, this is a very special episode because I actually have um, a fursuit maker, an artist no less, and I'm really excited to introduce you guys. Well, my name's Chris. Uh, I've been making fursuits since 2012. Uh, did you from the get-go start making suits or did it just develop slowly over the course of, you know, you learning about the fandom and getting to know people? Well, when I got into the fandom, I started looking at art online, and as I was younger, I I kind of got out of the art aspect and drawing, and I saw fursuits one day, and it caught my attention. So that was like a whole new perspective for me in the fandom, mm. and uh, I, I wanted one. So, you know, when you're 16, 17, what are you going to do when you want a suit <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you don't have sure. any money? <laughs> yeah. So I just started <laughs> to start making them, and... Uh, one guy who's pretty local to me, I offered to make a, a suit online just for a few hundred, and I got a biter. So <laughs> I made my first suit. It came out pretty all right, and it just kind of started this huge thing. Um, so it eventually, hmm? no, yeah. So it wasn't like um, I mean, you at least started out drawing though in art. Like you, did you do commissions in sketching or anything for anything? Oh no, 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 not at all. <laughs> I was kind of like a a nerd in school when it came to stuff like that. I was big into RuneScape, so I drew a lot of like Hell medieval yeah. stuff. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but um, eventually, I did do some anthropomorphic stuff like werewolves. But I never really grew into the werewolf thing. I ended up liking foxes a lot more. So. Mm. Here I am, a blue fox. Actually, yeah, sorry, I didn't introduce you. Yeah, so your Sona is a blue fox, yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess I never really talk about him. Um, usually, just everyone just calls me by my actual name, like my Chris a lot. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm a blue fox. Um, I guess a little bit behind that, uh, I I grew up a lot in the country, um, so we were always a lot around, a lot, bleh, around a lot of trees and, and deer and just wide variety oh, wow. of animals. Um we even have bear up here it's crazy black oh, wow. bear <laughs> like right in your backyard no. kind of thing yeah yeah oh, right snap. in back it's crazy um no one day at one of the houses they lived at uh knoxborough we I, I was looking out back in a field one day and i just saw like the this one red fox and just slowly walking out of these bushes and i'm just watching him walk out and i was just amazed it was like crazy perfect and uh as he started walking along, all of a sudden, like a baby fox came out and Aww. it was just heart melting. I loved it. <laughs> so, just seeing the way the sun was setting and just the the environment around, it was just like this perfect harmonious mm. moment for me. And I've never seen nature in such beauty before, and it just made me appreciate and love foxes that much more. Yeah. Um, that's definitely something that I can't experience here in Hawaii. But yeah, when I go to the mainland, that's something like even seeing a squirrel or something amazes me. Because <laughs> we oh, we have plenty of squirrels. You can take them. <laughs> I'm surprised that's not a lot more uh, people soon as. <laughs> yeah, everyone else would be a little bit more nutty. <laughs> uh, mm, that's true. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> We're all a bit nutty. But um, a little bit. Okay, so starting out with art, um, your first actual commission, though, like even practicing the craft was a commission for uh, making somebody, yeah. what, a partial or a full suit? Yep, I hopped right into it. My first ever commission was just a partial. Um, I had 250 bucks to work with, and at that time, I didn't have really any materials other than a basic sewing machine and a pair of scissors. So I, I did what I can do, mm -hmm. and I made what I made. And Oh, so you... You had uh, some, uh, like, crafting experience, or, like, was it through, like, me personally, the only thing that I knew about, like, from middle school was, like, home ec. I learned a little bit of sewing and stuff like that, but um, did you have, like, any mentor, or, like, did your parents encourage that kind of thing, or? Oh, I, not at all. I, oh, all <laughs> when I told my mom, I was, yeah, when I told my mom I was going to sew, she was like, what? <laughs> um <laughs> the schools I grew up around, they were pretty rural, so we didn't have a lot of classes to choose from. Um, we, we didn't do sewing or anything like that, but I did like tech. That was one thing we did do, and it, it wasn't mm. anything too crazy. Um, nothing sewing related for sure, but I made a couple sets of armor, but it was like cardboard craft. That was like the the limitations I had. That was all I really had made at that point mm. for like large costumes um 
but when it came around to suits, I was just, I was really determined. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to make one. And after I made my first one, I learned a lot and I just had this huge rush of inspiration and I just wanted to keep rolling with it and get better and better and better. Um, but no, I just, I just went for it. Oh, and... so after that, it kind of just naturally evolved for you to like learn things on your own through the internet or did you pick up books or? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of just researching on YouTube, I guess, as mm-hmm. anyone would start out and just some basic stitchings and get that yeah. out of the way. So I know what I'm doing because I didn't know anything about sewing. So I did use YouTube a little bit, but I didn't watch any fursuit tutorials per se. And at the time, I mean, back in 2012, fursuits were still kind of like a, they were a new concepts kind of back then. Um, they were getting, they were getting better from makers. People were growing their companies and there wasn't a lot of options out there. The technology mm-hmm. definitely wasn't what it's like nowadays with all the three 3d printing and such. Yeah. You guys um, can do so many more things now with things like, uh, that oh, I've yeah. seen you make before <laughs> with the nose accessories or the teeth themselves. Um, that, yeah, that, uh, medium didn't really exist or it hasn't matured as much as it is over like the past it- 10 years. Yeah, back then we were limited to uh, they. It was this horrible material, in my opinion. It was like this hard plastic oh. mesh that you sew yarn into, and you could sew like little patterns or whatever on like a flat disc. But people would cut these plastic mesh strips into like long rectangles, and you would sit there with the yarn and stitch them together oh. and make this really wonky bucket. But the the thing with that is every fursuit ended up looking the same. So I, I attempted that method, and about halfway through, I said, I don't really like the way this is going. It was taking too long, and I actually gave up. I just was, quit on my first ma- attempt. <laughs> was that material actually like a common regular, like things for like anime conventions that like a prop? like material that a lot of people would use or was that more in like the fursuit space that you saw people use i i can't say that i've seen it in cosplay use honestly uh oh. it, it was it was a youtube thing for furries i i think that was like one of the og ways people started building suits is like mesh helmet and then you add foam on top of it but i didn't really like that approach so i went with um i i learned that people can just carve from it and i was like oh okay well that makes sense so I'd rather carve from a block of foam. And then yeah. I tried that out and I didn't like the block approach either. Oh. I learned uh, my symmetry was off because um, I'm blind in my left eye. So yeah, every we... time I tried carving from a block, it would come out lopsided. You'd have to take some time to look at one side and evaluate the other, rotate it slowly and stuff. So that's more of like a coming from the block is more of like a sculptor's approach. You're actually like slowly chipping away at like a block of wood or something. And you're like forming it in like in the kind of like a clay way yeah yeah i like that approach a lot more um i'm finding well i found that sculpting has just been it's my favorite part it's honestly my favorite part of making suits once you just start grinding away all the foam and you start to actually see the shape come together from just like this raw form it's awesome um yeah the the way it's developed over the years uh, i kind of i cut that block way out and mm. I started just taking layers of foam and sandwiching it together. It, it worked for my system a little bit better since that lopsided thing kept occurring. I, I started using kind of like my own imaginary grid of lines and you know, I draw out a specific way to do something. And, and then I would follow that line with the scissors and just round everything out over time. Um, oh, wow. With so this... you, you just use like a regular like pair of shears to just actually like dig into the foam and start clipping around it uh just a basic pair of scissors these ones in fact (laughs) yeah uh the way i get around some of that is i i use different thicknesses of foam i'll show you on the side here like on the muzzle i start out with a half inch and then i move it to a one inch thick and then it goes into two inch and using all those different thicknesses of foam, they kind of give you a predetermined measurement. And uh, once I know what the measurement is, you can you can kind of build the head out and, you know, keep it symmetrical. And uh, the lines that the foam creates, it kind of gives me a guide to cut with the scissors. So yeah, I, I can if I'm really cutting see, at an angle. 
Yeah, I can really see like there's that thing that we talked about before, sort sort of that Lego aspect that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it all fits together really, really well, and you can see that within your geometry and like your precision there. Yes. So for the, so for the coming from the head, because I know like that's like the most attention grabbing piece. Like, is there a lot of like the similar process that goes into making the paws? I don't really know or imagine more for like the foam based things. Um, what mm. would that be? The tail or so paws and tails. There's there's a few different approaches I do. Um, with hand paws, it's pretty much as straightforward as just sketching a pair out. I mean, we all start with like a hand trace of our basic hand. Yeah. And then um, from there, I'll just draw out the pattern on uh, like my iPad or something and sketch it out quick. And then I can print it out. And once I get something that I like that's symmetrical, um, you could just take the pattern, flip just it. Trace right over it. Yeah, trace right over it. As far as like making the physical paws go, it's just taking the pattern, tracing it out on the fur, cutting it out. Then you're sewing it, and then you just got to add a liner. Um, tails, I do things a little bit differently. Now, tails can be tricky, and it's something I've learned over the years of, of sizing. Mm. I, I like larger tails, but I don't like too small of tails. If you're going to make a full suit with a tail attached, you know it should flow, and it should, it should look like it's a part of it, I think. And sizing has been a problem for yeah. me in the past. Yeah. That's definitely a good point, like mentioning the flow. You see, um, I guess it's a lot of early uh, creators when they start. You see a lot a lot of the tails just kind of dangling there or hanging there. That doesn't seem <laughs> like... Um, no, because I notice as artists yeah. mature that they get this sense of like anatomy like strengthened and that it, it, you get like tighter curls and tighter like joints and it's really impressive. It's really like beautiful. Yeah, and coming from like zero anatomy experience it's yeah. just something that you gotta pay attention to over the years but with tails um resizing it's hard because i don't have a customer here with me so all we really have as makers to go off of is a duct tape dummy so that duct tape dummy has to be uh, you know as well put together as possible so what i've done to do the sizing um i'll draw the tail out in, in mm -hmm. our program and sketch out a rough design and once i have that together i'll print it out and i'll do a micro scale of it like tiny couple inches and i what i do is i stand the duct tape dummy up uh full size and oh, oh. so for I'll, those real quick who don't know what a dtd is a, a duct tape dummy is a it's a form that people make at home usually called like duct tape dummy parties and they'll actually like put on a painter's suit and then they'll cover and wrap themselves in like yards and yards of duct tape to get that form mold and then they'll cut themselves out of it and then they'll send it to the maker yeah that's also when you become real good friends with everyone yeah, yeah sure you, <laughs> you learn a lot about each other <laughs> it's a fun time it's a bonding experience. oh it is a bonding experience i don't miss doing them Oh. <laughs> yeah, holding your arms out and then just losing yeah, all the, the circulation. T-posing for like two hours straight. Yeah, it's basically a human analog for a T-pose, yep. But you mentioned, okay, so that kind of reminds me like when you start off small, like as an artist, like I do when I'm developing my ideas, I'm like thumbnailing it. So is that the equivalent of in the makerspace for thumbnailing? Yeah, I guess. And that's something that I've been doing just recently in the last year and a half. Um, just drawing a little image has, has helped out so much more because uh, what happens is you, if you, you know, full sales, full scale something and you mess up, then you're out of materials. And I've, I've wasted yes. more than my fair share of foam and for trying to, uh, you know, do something I've never done before. So trial and error, um, preventatives. That's what we're going for. <laughs> so by doing it in the thought, uh, thumbnail, um, we can project light from behind it. And I, I thought of the really old school projectors when I was in elementary school. Mm. You know, they would put the sheet on the, the glass and it would blow it up on the chalkboard. And... I thought about using that, so I just kind of hooked my cell phone up and put it against a cutout of a tail I made oh, okay. against the wall, and I was able to project the image of the tail up against the wall. I pasted a bunch of paper on it, and then I just drew the tail out from the projection. So I could position the duct tape dummy against the wall next to the cutout, and you can zoom the projection in and out. and so uh, just the scale. Could, 
yeah, adjust the scale on the tail so you can get just that perfect sizing. Uh, it's just a really simple little trick that I just kind of picked up and it's working amazingly. Oh, that's really incredible. So actually you've been using that um, technique ever since. Oh yeah. Um, ever since I, I did it for the first time, I loved the result. Um, we're still doing it and it, that can, it can totally be applied to many different things. I mean, if you draw anything, any size, if you could just scale it up with light, you know, yeah. you could hold a ruler up to it. You could scale it to whatever size you need. It's, it's honestly just the perfect way to go about yeah. things. <laughs> that makes the most sense. Yeah. Like really uh, fine tuning what makes your life the easiest. Cause yeah. what would you do prior to that? You would use some sort of paper and then use that paper as a, as a measurement or. Yeah. We would just uh, lay sheets of paper on a table or, and kind of get a rough measurement. So if, you know, your waist is X amount of height, then I'm going to make the tail from like the bottom of your ankle to your waistline. Yeah. So roughly we'll say like 32 inches hypothetically. And it, it, that's just all we had to go off of. So now that we can scale that up to, you know, your duct tape dummy being your body size and all that, we could, uh, you know, you, accuracy you actually look there. at it. Yeah. Yeah. As it, you're it's making nice. It. Well, I guess that plays into the whole depth perception thing. You know, I with my left eye being wonky, it's just for me, it's a visual aid being able to physically see it. For sure. Um, yeah. Okay, so I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot on the technical aspect. Um, I might want to step back a little bit, so go more to the like general things. Um, uh, so for you, um, just recently joining the fandom back in the day, um. What what other things I guess beyond the fursuits? Because yeah, it sounded like you just went head in first, like joining the community, going into fursuits and making. Um, were there other aspects that um, you've liked, you know, been interested in here and there? Because the one of the things that always like surprises me is like, even though we're like a subculture, there's a lot of different facets that a lot of people you know gravitate towards that don't necessarily like uh, apply to everybody. So like you have motor furs, you have um, I don't know, even like a group of uh, aquatic furs that like diving or something like that. Something so wildly like specific. Um, yeah, it's there's a lot of specifics in this fandom. And it's you, you really only for me, in my experience, I've, I, you meet a lot of people at conventions. And I think cons were my favorite part. Um, when I when I really hopped into the fandom after I started making suits, that first year I went to my first convention and mm. my first con, I didn't do it small. I went <laughs> right for the big one. <laughs> and Which one was uh, that? Was uh, AC? 18 years old. I went to Anthrocon. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, is that the largest con to date? Not anymore. Has, oh, what surpassed it? Uh, MFF Holy with 11,000 attendees. It is oh insane. God. I yeah. can't even picture that. Yeah. When I went to Anthrocon last, I I think the attendance was at maybe six or seven thousand. So that's it's almost double. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, for sure. I don't think anybody could experience like everything that Con has to offer within the first week. That's in, like amazing. You would have to go back and back and keep doing different things. Oh yeah, and even I mean I've been going since I started going. Um, I only skipped one year, uh, but. Every year I go, there's always more things to find um, between panels and the dealer's den and mm -hmm. just you know, there's art meetups, there's suit meetups. And you could turn a corner at any given time at a con like that and you're going to find something <laughs> new and ridiculous. Something to, will grab you and pull you in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's great for the social aspect of it because, you know, you, you have all these random interactions and you get to meet really cool people that you never really expect. And then you get to learn something new and. The more and more you you learn, um, everyone just has this crazy awesome niche that they can do. Like some some of the people I've met, like, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's fun. Wow, would be the most crazy thing. Oh, oh my dog! Oh, that's <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no problem. Maybe he has something to say on the on the podcast. Oh yeah, he'll say bark, bark, bark. No, um, yeah, no, everyone has this little niche. I mean, I found people that were as far as like police officers to, you know, aquatic submarine divers, like one furry does nuclear welding. It, it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's a solid job. Like, how do you even <laughs> get into something like that? I don't um, even know what nuclear welding is, but that sounds very complex. <laughs> yeah. One guy up in uh, Buffalo, a friend of mine, um, he was a curator for the Naval Park in Buffalo. For, so 
you know, being a furry and all since I knew mm-hmm. him, he's like, yeah, dude, you want to come check out the ships? So I did, and we spent a night on the ships, and it was pretty wild. Wow, um, just from being a furry, just having that one thing in common. Yeah, you know, we, we met over the years, and we talked, and, you know, we became friends, yeah. and eventually invited me to go along with that, and that was That's pretty dope. wild. Yeah. <laughs> so the at the, like, Anthrocon and whatnot, um, you would attend panels specifically about um, what you were developing at the time, like learning a little bit here and there about fursuit making, or... Did you ever host a panel by chance, or? What's your um, I've never like hosted a panel. I I actually want to. Um, the local, semi-local con to me for Apocalypse, uh, they would be the first if I was gonna do it. I don't know if I would go to Anthrocon and host a panel. That's a lot of people. <laughs> That's a little intimidating. Yeah. It's a little intimidating. Um, but as far as panels go, I, I'll be honest, I didn't go to a lot of panels. Oh. <laughs> I did. I did do a lot of gaming stuff, but I I was fond of browsing like the the zoos, like any of the art panels. Mm-hmm. I I would mm-hmm. pop in here and there just to to look because I I like staring at furry art. Um, a lot of artists are are crazy talented, and I like watching, um, like speed paint stuff like that. Yeah, actually, um, so from uh, the fur conventions in, like, the dealer's den or the artist's alleys, um, I was really inspired, like, when I went to my first convention, BLFC 2018, just last year. Um, no, actually, it was this year in May uh, 2019, my bad. Um, <laughs> seeing everybody, like, display their art and really, like, show you what they're capable of really um, touched me in a way that, like, wanted me to get a table for next year, so... Although I don't think I'll, you know, have a large table or whatever. I was talking with one of my buddies to, like, split a table, and he's going to bring one of his printers, and then we could actually make a few commissions there live. Um, so that was really dope. Uh, the I understand it. Like, we did talk before. Um, you did actually have a table. Was it this past year, or um, do you host yours regularly? For, um, for Oh, yeah, by the way, for Fuzzworks. That's his studio. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Fuzzworks. We uh we do host the table regularly um at Furpocalypse in Cromwell, Connecticut. Uh I've been going since 2012 and I've been vending since 2014, I believe. Oh wow. Um yeah, it's it's the only con that's really close enough to me that I could I could drive to and cart all of our stuff. Um conventions like uh, free week in Atlanta. I love it. That's my favorite con, by the way. But going down there and trying to sell, it's it's not as feasible. Cause I'd have to drive all the way down, which is 18 hours for me, and then I'd have to cart all the stuff and set up the tables, and it's just that's uh, too much of a hassle. Mm. So, uh, Furpock is about three and a half hours away, so that makes it easy. But yeah, it's um it's a great little convention. Uh, it's a couple thousand attendees. It's not too crazy. It's um, a good handful, yeah. Yeah, it's not, a good handful. Not overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, not not as overwhelming. Um, a good social con. The artist alley is great. There's uh, uh, oh, they're they're moving hotels. Actually, it started off at this this little convention. It became it was a barbecue at first. I guess for some barbecue. FWA. Oh no no for for apocalypse. Sorry. Oh for Pac. Okay. They, they started out as this little barbecue thing, and then it just kind of blew up each year, and then eventually uh, it outgrew it. So next year, we're moving to a new hotel, I guess, that's pretty close to New York City. Oh. Uh, so I can't wait for that, and vending there is going to be awesome since the occupancy limit's going to be raised. <laughs> oh, nice. So but, maybe a new local con. Yes, uh, but the vending experience itself, I love the dealer's room. Um, you know... Being able to go into a room and it, we have this thing where before the dealer's den opens, we can coordinate and we can talk to the other dealers before and after. And I think it's a great opportunity to socialize with everyone. Um, you get to see what everyone else has made, what they're bringing to the con. And it, it's a good time to, like, find trades. I found so trades. many, like, yeah, like, so I thought it would be a little hard to find things that I wanted and, and trade with a maker if there's something that I don't have to pay for, you know, since we're, we're a community, we each do our own mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you know, there's something that I make that you want and there's something that you want, why not trade for it, you know? So I've traded art for fursuit parts before. I don't oh, have nice. a problem with that. And, and the dealer's done uh, one year, last year it was, there was like this little wolf pillow and it was like, 
it, it was just perfect. I loved it. <laughs> it was made out of fur and it had these these goofy like Facebook pusheen eyes, you uh. know. And, uh, I wanted it, so I, I went to her and I'm like, "Hey, is there anything you wanted by chance for my table? We could possibly make a mm-hmm. trade." And she's like, "Oh yeah." That'd be <laughs> you guys... great. She ended up taking a bunch of my fursuit teeth, and oh. she, and then we started talking about it. And I'm like, "So." What are you going to use my teeth for? I don't know. I, I haven't noticed you don't have any fursuit parts or anything. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I make uh, fursona dolls. And your little teeth, I think, would fit perfectly for my dolls. And I'm like, no way. That's awesome. Oh, that's so dope. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so you guys it's are a... bargaining and <laughs> barding yeah. in the dealer's den. <laughs> that that yeah. makes sense, actually. Yeah. Let's see. Um, trying to remember, though. We did discuss a lot of stuff beforehand. So... I'm sorry if like some things kind of sound redundant or whatever. I might it might sound like I'm asking you twice. Um, no, that's all right. I, I'm trying to remember the conversation we had the other day, and <laughs> that, that went really well. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, we went. I think we went for like a good near like two two and a half hours. That was really nice. Um, but uh, yeah, to reiterate, um, the things uh that we covered before, um, even some kind of like ethereal things was uh just like what, like to to break the ice in a simple way like what what does the fandom mean to you uh today or how has that changed over time um because i know um <laughs> i did talk with some of the, uh, the other guests on the podcast and they would mention that like one of my close friends just mentioned that furry wasn't really easy for him to define it was like he just put it it was just fun and he found that when he thinks of a fandom um, there's no specific like foothold like you know for anime conventions and whatnot you could think of like Naruto and everybody will just gush over that one franchise but yeah what we came to the conclusion before was like oh the fandom is just like I we think of our friends and there's not really one specific face so I don't know if you could like add to that or um, what's your thoughts on that type of oh that totally makes sense uh, at first when I joined the community it was solely due to the fact that I can meet new people. Um, it was all friendships. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I do stay in this fandom and why I enjoy it so much is y- you do get to meet all these people from all around the planet and you won't really find that experience anywhere else, I don't think. Um, we all congregate together in one specific spot every other month mm-hmm. To do the same exact thing, but yet we all bring so many different things together as a whole. And I I think furries, they are what makes the community. I mean, no doubt. Um, All the talent. And unlike the anime community, like you were saying, yeah, it's it's one specific thing. (laughs) Um, The creativity I like more. You know, we have our own custom characters. We have personas. We're not limited to a storybook. We can write our own stories. It's our. It's as limited as our imagination can go, and that's what I love about it. And that's really cool because, like in your case, like in your artistic field, you're you're really like literally bridging the gap between like a person's like vision. They're like, hey, I kind (laughs) of have this hazy idea, and like you literally like, oh yeah, here here's that in real life, and you can become that. (laughs) And that's the part that's the part that I really gush over because it's like, I, okay, I I geek out a lot about other people like you know fursuit unboxing and and stuff, and then they, I think um one of the recent ones that I looked at was a uh, Hayu Martin. Are you familiar with that furry Hayu? He's a uh... Pine Martin, but um he's really into like space and stuff, and he's made a lot of videos on space. He's a really cool dude. And uh, he put on the suit, and then he just walks in front of the full body mirror, and then he's like, "Oh my gosh!" Like he's just like feeling his whole body. He's like feeling like a whole different person, and mm. or if anything, he's feeling more like himself. And that's like the part that I really like gush over. And he's like, "Uh, long boy," and he's just a tube. <laughs> just a tube. <laughs> yeah, he's like Weasley Pine Martin. Yeah. Huh. Um. The. So. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Okay, so there was a bit of, like, controversy. Like, com- <laughs> like at least for me, um, this is just, like, in the entering phase of the fandom. Um, I didn't really know what it was coming into it. Like, to be honest, I looked at vines, you know, when that was a thing. Um, oh, yeah. There would be a lot of furry vines that would pop up on the main page from time to time. I'm like, what is this? And that's sort of, like, seeding the, the, the fursuits and, like, that subculture into my brain at the time. And... I would see the comments on it and stuff and be like stuff that just I think just catch people off guard and then that's why they get defensive about it. 
Um, so even with that kind of negative like connotations in the earlier days, I don't I don't think that it's as maybe as toxic as it is to uh, then. But like, did that sort of sway or make you question anything about like what the community was really about or? Oh no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm not an angel by any means. When I first <laughs> saw the whole furry thing, I saw the mm. gift tag, and that's kind of yeah, what that's, drew me in. That's honestly, <laughs> oh okay, yeah, but that's honestly what some people would be like. No, I cannot be a part of that. That's too. Yeah, no, I mean, that's too nefarious. That's, Again, though, it's not why I joined the community. It's just how <laughs> I discovered it. And, you yeah. know, at, people discover it in different ways. The main controversial community. Eh. Oh, no, not that I want to make it seem like a controversy. But, like, I was just wondering from your side of things, like, was that ever a thing that ever barred you from getting more into the, in touch with the fandom? Like, No, I was never afraid to be a furry i guess i wasn't yeah. looking to hide it or anything i mean as, as soon as i decided to make suits since i was young i approached it to my mom like hey i'm gonna start making animal costumes and i don't even think she questioned me she just looked very mm. confused and then a couple <laughs> days later i probably made the worst mistake that you could do as a new furry and send her the wikipedia link oh boy. <laughs> don't send people that because it's not good that is not an accurate representation of this community <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah anybody can edit that so i'm not too sure yeah but no i wasn't afraid i mean even now uh, I know it's not a sex thing. I know it's not all about yeah, what people read on the internet. In today's age, you know, we don't have Vine anymore, but TikTok's a huge thing. So a lot of children, uh, like 12-year-olds, it's crazy. There's so many new, like, children in this community. Mm -hmm. uh, and to me, it's like, all right, furries, you got to, like, watch yourself. You got to tone down mm -hmm. a bit. Yeah. Don't be on facebook don't be on instagram don't post like nsfw stuff you know let's be reasonable and it, it and ultimately yeah it makes the community more welcoming and warm and inviting because um just even at my first con at blfc uh i did get caught up in like being around all of the adults people my age you know like 24 25 and up and then i see actual parents there and they're with yeah. their like 11 or 8 year old daughter or son and they're in like a little full suit and that's like the most adorable thing yeah it's and then, crazy yeah that makes you kind of slow down and be like no this is for everyone and you want to yeah you want to warm welcome them and just really make the best of that um the the thing was though um shoot what was it uh like <laughs> i think uh, a good a good point uh, you made uh, back in the previous conversation, though, was like um, considering that it's not like a sex thing or anything was um, when you talked to me about like being involved in Pottersville. So <laughs> if, if anything, I know like that's not maybe the best representation of like the fandom, but I think it's a really good step <laughs> in a mainstream way for showing people like what the community is like in a very like kind of, you know, tongue in cheek way. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can get was, into that. <laughs> yeah, what was your experience in that? Because I, uh, you told me a bit about it, so I wonder if you'd like to reiterate, um, like from uh, getting the, I don't know, getting the invite or like how the experience was on a that was set. Uh, quite the experience. <laughs> My buddy Pharaoh, um, who hosts Furcast, he invited me, and. A couple friends and some local furries uh, to do this whole movie thing. At first, we were like, "What are you talking about? You know, what's this? What are we? What are we going to be doing in suit?" And he said that it was going to be very tame. It was just this little show. Um, you know, we'd be in a scene, jumping around in a crowd, and that's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're like, "Okay, we're down." Um, and we we had out there the day of the first filming, and uh, we it was just that we would hop in suit. We got the rundown, like, okay, you guys stand in this crowd, you know, raise your arms up, cheer. You don't have to yell, but get into it. We'll edit it, do all that. And we're like, okay, so we're just jumping around like, yeah, Bigfoot, Bigfoot or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Pottersville, by the way, is like a movie that briefly goes over like this little small town that gets enamored by the Bigfoot mystery. Yes, uh, it was. It's some comedy remake of uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" or something along those lines. Um, but Ron Perlman was there, 
Ian McShane, Tom Lennon, Christina Hendricks, and uh, Michael Shannon. Yeah, yeah, those, those are really big names. Yeah, they are really big names. And when we we were talking about it, this this whole film was. You know, we're like, okay, this is some cheap little budget like comedy thing, but why are like these people, these big named actors here? It was it was awesome though. Uh, the first day we didn't get to see Ron Perlman more than I think once for like maybe ten minutes. Tom Lennon was there for a little bit, but we didn't get to meet any of the actors or anything. So we we're like, oh. But we found out that we had to go back for a second film, and I believe it was two or three weeks later. Um, so we had. Headed back out, we went to another city, uh, Syracuse, New York, and they had this factory set up out here in like the middle of nowhere. And we're like, okay, is this the right place? <laughs> just <laughs> all these big, cars, random warehouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty much just that. And uh, there's a bunch of cars parked out in front, so we're like, okay, this has to be it. Um, we get inside and we sign in, and you know, there's everyone, and it's just like crazy bustling. So we're kind of peeking around, and we open one of the doors, and we see the the room where they're shooting in, and it was just this massive, crazy room with all these trees, and uh, they were real trees set up this whole forest, fake snow. It was wild. Um, it was a so full-blown production. Yeah, full-blown full blown production. So then we realized, all right, this is serious. So uh, we suited up, and we were there for eight hours filming, Uh we were there with Ron Perlman and Tom Lennon, and uh, it got to our part where the director said, all right, Blue Dog, <laughs> you're barking over here, and then you, you're over there. And it was it was pretty tame. It's, but progressively throughout the night, I think the director uh, kind of changed the shift of things, and he's like, all right, you start grinding on this guy, and you start grinding <laughs> oh, over there. You you need to howl at the moon and, and scratch him, and we're like, okay. <laughs> so we went for it. I mean, it, it was a fun experience, um, grinding on Tom Lennon. That was uh, – <laughs> oh, Yeah, no, that, that, my that night I watched <laughs> the movie from what you were telling me, and I was like, oh, my God, there's Pharaoh, <laughs> and there's Blix. And then <laughs> that was like <laughs> – it was funny because you could see like where they would get like because not all of them were actual fursuits. They had some mascot costumes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They um, the the production, the costume department, whoever mm. they were, they were the ones who actually casted and they talked to Pharaoh who got everyone oh, wow. in. They wanted as many real furries as possible, and they were talking to me about getting costumes made. And I'm like, whoa, guys, like we have a month. Like I cannot make you fursuits the kids. Yeah. Impossible. You know, <laughs> so uh, I had some that were made and I contacted the customer of one of the finished ones I had. Um, so I brought one of mine and they rented the mm. suit out for me. That's what happened. And oh, wow. I had my own fursuit. So they they essentially rented my suit for the movie. And that's how we got to be a part of it. Um well, so there was, like, some sort of contract for, like, your suit becoming a prop for the movie, actually. Yes, that's oh, wow. that's pretty much how this whole opportunity came to be, from my understanding. Um, as a bonus, because they were paying, you know, side actors, just uh, regular local people to fill in, uh, because they needed the costumes, we filled in that part since they were out. And that's, anyway. <laughs> I think that's no okay. Like, despite the direction for like, yeah, grind on Tom Lennon or whatever. <laughs> like, having a person that's like actually conscious and just saying like, no, we're not gonna cis this. We're just going to have actual people who come from the community and actually just, you know, be kooky and stuff and be fun and loving. That's the part that I really respect that they did the most. Yeah, and the the regular mascots that you saw in there they were just like these low budget things that they they brought in and they rented from costume shops locally mm-hmm. and uh they they put regular people in them and yeah the bunny know, girl and <laughs> yeah, the, ron perlman the when he was the wolf <laughs> yes um <laughs> it, that was that was an experience now being like fursuiters you know we're used to being in suit for so long but mm-hmm. we were watching these regular people uh suit up and we had to stop frequently while filming because they were overheating. <laughs> oh, they weren't used to that. Oh, okay. yeah, they weren't used to it, and we were used to it. We're like, we're we had to like take a step back was and this, realize what was going on. Was this actually in the winter at all? So like, was all that snow even real? Um, in the set or? It was in the winter. Uh, the first scene where we were in the crowd chanting that was real. That was hundred oh, percent real okay, snow. Okay. 
we were nice and warm. <laughs> but in the film, in the, the big room in the forest scene, uh, that was fake snow. It was like, it was almost like potato flakes or something. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> Phil. It was all movie magic. But uh, yeah, that was all fake. The trees were real, though. Um, that was it. Oh, okay. Oh, so was it actually room temperature in there and everything while you guys were Yeah, it was it was room temperature. So as we were flailing around in suit, yeah, it got pretty hot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um and I I like the part too where Ron Perlman would come out and he would like yell at the other actor, he's like, No, I'm a furry and it's like (laughs) (laughs) that's the part that blew me and my mate when we were watching it last (laughs) night. I was like, Wow, I can't believe they're really doing this. Oh, they did it. It was fun. But the way I looked at it is if there's going to be, you know, film in the furry community, at mm-hmm. least, you know, it's a comedy. It was funny. The The thing that yeah. got the most flack back in the day was the whole CSI Miami episode with Sexy the Kitty. That was bad. <laughs> that yeah. represented the community pretty badly. <laughs> like, at least, yeah, in the mainstream on television, no less, like, this is the image you're going to throw out. And I bet you they did not consult anybody at all remotely. Just probably somebody. no, not really. Um, we had we had episodes between you know, My Strange Addiction had a furry episode, A Thousand Ways to Die. You have uh, Tosh Point oh, you have uh, Pottersville, and th- there's there's a lot. There's so many things with fur- Lucifer. That was a big one. They were casting hundreds of furries. They were going through. Oh, what is wait? What is Lucifer? I've never heard of that. Um, I haven't watched it yet, so. I can't really elaborate on the show oh, okay. so much, but it's a Netflix show. Um, I don't. Re- How were the furries necessarily involved? I'm not sure. They they did some sort of episode with furries. I haven't watched it. I, I got to go watch it. Oh, okay. But that's something that people can go and look. You know, get a little mystery in there. Um, but yeah, all I knew at the time was they were looking for just tons and tons of furries, and I was browsing around Facebook and. Every one of my friends, it seemed like they're like, oh, yeah, we got the script. This, that. <laughs> I'm like, OK, this is big. They're really um, stoked to be a part of it, at least, though. Yeah. And it just it just all plays into this whole big scheme of things, I think, where the the fandom is it's so mainstream now. And, you know, that's that, how we have all these furries joining in. There's a lot of new populations. Um, yeah, I have gotten a little bit of flight with some close friends because uh, they were more veteran furs, and even though I've only been in the fandom for like three, three-ish years now, um, they they sort of feel this kind of cultural shift of yeah, going in the mainstream and kind of being that like you know like old school like sitting in Starbucks like that's too mainstream <laughs> kind of thing, and yeah. <laughs> they they kind of find like it like being less of a special like niche in their world. Um, I, on the other hand, though, am more of a proponent that more people entering the fandom means that we're even flourishing more with more art, more perspective, more, you know, like, um, like jabs into like, yeah, television, television productions and everything like that's if we're going to represent ourselves, why not do it in the best possible light? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I firmly believe that we, we should, as a community, represent yeah. ourselves in the best way possible um, to prevent all the weird stuff. You and know. even, yeah, even seeing, um, did you ever watch um, coming from like the 80s or 90s videos of like the first local cons and what oh. those would be like? And that's just yes. like comparing what I've known even from like the past three years ago. It is totally the game has totally evolved and changed and matured over that time. Like seeing i think a lot of people even had like body paint and stuff just as a regular animal it wasn't even like considered a fursona i don't know at that time yeah so back then in the 70s and 80s it all kind of started um with a comic out there called albedo's anthropomorphics the comic writer who wrote the xenomorphs and uh developed them for alien he was the same guy who wrote the first kind of anthropomorphic comic book so that spread off and that kind of created the furry subculture at first. Now, you know, we didn't really have the internet back then. So the only way for furries to really communicate, they had uh, IRC chat logs through this website called Furry Muck. And um, the chairman of Anthrocon, Uncle Kage, he gets into that a lot. Uh, he was a huge part of that, I guess. But um, there wasn't so much conventions there were some out in california in the mid 80s and yeah there was it was more of like uh an avatar approach where people were all painted up as their characters (laughs) or whatever they created 
Because yeah, um, fursuits weren't necessarily like a big thing. It was just to represent no. your character, like a character at all. The first representation of a fursuit that I've ever seen came from a gem of a video dating <laughs> from Anthrocon like 93 or 94, way back when it very first started in Albany, New York. And then they went to Philadelphia and then they transferred to Pittsburgh. Um, but the Albany videos, yeah, the, the first seats back then were quite interesting. It, it, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of them were no doubt like actual like mascot costumes that you would see at sporting events or something like that too. Just like it there just were, so happened to be the animal they liked. Yeah, there there were a lot of mascots. There were some custom ones, but the custom ones were uh, – It's they, okay. They had... There's no judgment. <laughs> I, there was this one – all right, man. This one I saw in an Anthrocon video from like the 90s. There was this big pink cat, and she had big old just boobs, but they were like <laughs> legit – Beach balls tucked oh, wow. under this like <laughs> fur. It was like what you would see in like a hyper, like original furry comic or something. And it was, I think it I was have crazy. Seen those. Yeah, was it like a fleece suit type of thing? Yes, where it was kind of like foldy and it, yeah, it it really has come a long <laughs> way. Like it's come a long as, way. I'm as, I'm happy with the way fur suits are nowadays. I notice I've it's I don't know like as a maker though. Have you noticed this trend where like from then it was more humanoid? So like, the human aspect of the anthro was very, like, prominent. And over time, it's even got, gotten to, like, more of this, like, thick paw kind of big cartoony type of feel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a huge style rift in fursuits. Um, I, the most common would be the, the thick paw, big toony fursuits. And mm. uh, makers like Autumn Fallings and One For All or uh, uh more for less they they, they make these toonie suits and yeah they they make so many of them and they just kind of establish that style out there so oh that's um, a good point you know, actually yeah just from <laughs> when people they see that style and you know they see someone outputting so much work you know it's gonna latch on and it's gonna get shared around and more people the more they see it the more that they they seem to like it uh but you know, there are other styles out there. You have, you know, realistic makers, semi-realism, which I, I believe I think I fall under more or less. Yeah, I definitely see that. You have a and very you charming, have... realistic, like, attitude. Yeah. And then uh, then you have your cartoony stuff. But there's humanoid things. There are – there's a bunch of, like, little niche makers out there that don't get a lot of notice because, you know, they, they make all these very weirdly specific things. But – um, this one girl out there, Magpie Bones, she makes LARP masks. They're they're phenomenal. Um, and they're kind of simply made in like material aspect, but I, it's not something that I can make. And um, they're like full fox masks, but you use your own eyes. There's no fursuit eyes or anything. Oh wow, is that actually does that kind of sounds like it falls into uncanny and uncanny territory? Does it? Or does I don't it... know. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> See, I, I like them. Now, there are fursuits out there, like full-on fursuits. Mm -hmm. uh, Mixed Candy made one and uh, some other guys. But they, you use your own eyes, and you know you have you know your big colorful dog character, and that looked a little weird to me. Oh, but okay. <laughs> because the LARP thing was more realistic, uh, I don't know. It, it seems to fit more. They're a lot slimmed down. You don't have the big like puffy prominent, you know foam cheeks on suits and stuff yeah. like that it, it contours to the face oh okay and yeah. larp wait larping was that's coming from like more of a medieval style yeah like the that's... the live action role play guys and the the sca um stuff like that they you know they go and meet up and they beat each other with foam swords and yeah shields. <laughs> you know i mean yeah that sounds even funner in fursuit to be honest i would love to do that oh yeah I think, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a blast I'm sure it's been done. <laughs> is um is some is something I don't know how recent or new like the protogens are. So is that the type of uh, unique Daft Punk Daft Punk styled masks that's yes. been circulating? What's uh, what there's, are your thoughts on those? Uh, so there's two different kinds. There's protogens and there's primogens. Um, the protogens are the free realm species. They're not restricted according to the creator. So you can kind of make them whatever way you want, following a select set of guidelines like angel dragons mm -hmm. are um uh kyborg studios are the guys that made them uh no they're they're interesting they're pretty cool uh i i don't know if 
it's something that I, I don't like animatronics and electronics that far. It's a lot of work. <laughs> With like, um, I don't know, do you need like a Raspberry Pi or something like hidden in yeah, there? There's a lot to them. Um, it it kind of strayed me away from wanting to do animatronics and stuff because I've had a few customers go up to me and they're like, hey, do you think you could do something like this? And I said, well, I can make the helmet and the visors and stuff like that, but I don't I don't want to touch the electronics. Yeah, you do get... need... They're driven by uh, Raspberry Pis, um, Arduinos, the the eyes on the heads with all the animatronic or the oh, animations. They're OLED panels. Um, there's just a series of dots, and you can program mm-hmm. them using like Python script and all this other oh, crazy wow. computer magic. Um, but yeah, there's there's a, a bit to them. Um, they're basically just like portable displays yeah that they're actually using yeah yeah they're they're big portable displays <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be cool to play some gifts through those i was just thinking about that actually like for raves and cons and stuff that'd be really dope yeah they're super bright i mean you can get pretty creative with them um another wild the what other species angel dragons are another one i mean you a lot of people hop onto these trends i think they like the species Mm. trends and i think it's great you know it refreshes the furry fandom a little bit it gives a new species and a new market to open up and it gives kind of a whole new challenge to fursuit makers is this trend like when some maker or something or some artist just starts uh throwing out a species that's just like getting popular or like how does that yeah, I, I've seen it happen a few ways. Because um, uh, speaking of Angel Dragons, right, isn't um, Telephone one? What, is she the first? or Yeah, Telephone or Eno, um, she created them, I, I don't know when, some years ago. Um, and then they just blew up. She, she did YouTube videos and convention videos. She was one of the original furries, I guess, if you want to say, for like... <laughs> When, the, the mainstream, okay, so, yeah, the mainstream furries back then, like 2012. You're, whenever you look at that year span of the community, you see a couple suitors. You see Auri, Skittles, and Telephone, mm. and they were like these suits. Um, they kind of set the standards. Um, Phoenix Wolf was the first person to make Telephone suit. Uh, it, oh no, 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 that's not true. I don't want to lie. She made her first <laughs> one, and I think she commissioned one from oh, okay. uh, from from her from Phoenix Wolf. And then the one from Phoenix Wolf ended up catching on, and then people just loved it. And then she blew up from there. And then uh, now but, you see Angel Dragons left and right at every con. Yeah, you yeah. see Angel Dragons left and right. And as it grew, uh, Telephone set her rules and guidelines because people started copying her character and then you know it created this whole other influx of like art theft so yeah how does that work though (laughs) like when you make this species i mean i don't know if you know too much but like is it like a copyrighted thing or can people just take their artistic freedoms with it because it's a species just sounds pretty open i mean in i think reality the way it works is yeah it's it's an open species you can make something as you know how you want to make it Mm -hmm. it's it's limited to your imagination but when it comes into species they do set rules but i I think it's more or less the creator wants to protect their character telephone her big thing was uh the white ring on her nose and you know don't don't copy yeah don't copy (laughs) someone else's character i think it's fine as long as you don't completely rip off another person's character um, no, I'm going to take this color and this design, but I'm going to tweak it just a bit, and it's going to be my original OC. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That just, like, like throws me into, like, Sonic OCs or something like that. No offense to people who like oh, Sonic, God. but yeah. <laughs> if you're Sonic and you have all the features, but you're just green, I don't know if that's original. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole different story. That's not originality at all. Um, she did change it. Now there's, like, Dutch Angel Dragons, but there's other things out there, too. There's uh, the Manikits. Oh, yeah, I've seen um, those. Manikits um... are cool. Um, the creator of those, uh, Dubmutt, she she made the first fursuit after she made the ref sheet for the species, and then everyone loved her suit because it was, you know, it was unique. It was different. That was hers. So, I, I mean, as I think myself, I would, I would want to keep that originality, mm-hmm. you know, that way you know, people could appreciate it and such, but now she made it into a species and opened it up, which is cool too. And then, uh, what she did that others wouldn't allow 
was she allowed another company, Dream Vision Creations and whoever else, uh, with you know consent, you can make fursuit parts for sale and replication. Oh, so other okay. people can buy a cast of a head of a mannequin. And, you know, you don't have to pay royalties or whatever, which is awesome. You're not going to um, need, like, the so, whole shebang. You can just buy this one specific part yeah, if need be. So that's a, a whole open species. Unlike the, the primogens, where, you know, if you want a suit from them, they essentially, you know, you have to go to them yeah, to buy it. Yeah. The, even, like, um, I guess Circles, too. Uh, that's an original. Oh, yeah, like, Circles. Uh, for, persona that the fandom created that i think has been by far one of the most prolific um you know cheese wedges and stuff and the memes are everywhere it's even like oh, i always yeah. see a circle meme here and there um <laughs> and then uh what was it uh is crux correct me if I'm wrong. is crux yeah, crux yeah okay well, yeah i don't even know what those things are about i've just heard the name they're um they're i think they're a really cool species i actually had a crux character way back when um i i can't remember too much on him. I know <laughs> the the original artist. I can't remember his name. He did him on FA as he wrote a story with him, and he released like the first image of it many, mm. many, many years ago. And it was they're kind of like a very tight knit species. Their backlog is a little bit weird. They were like some weird sciencey experiment that got wrong, and uh, the common trend with cruxes is like. They were all named after a drug. <laughs> like, one, oh wow! There, there's a Xanax <laughs> Crux, and then you know this one guy I know. His name is is Bath Salts Crux. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and they all kind of have like these really like psychedelic features and like kind of hypnotic eyes or really like pointy and zany uh, ears and stuff I've seen before. Yeah, um, I, I would call them like weird Aztec zebra. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's description. Oh my god. I just forgot. Well, if you want to talk about species, though, I know oh, one yes. close species. Okay. Yes. This girl has a just a brown dog. That's her close species. No one else is allowed Is it a Labrador a or something? Dog. What is that? I think it's just a plain brown dog, like a lab or something. Yeah. You know what? That's cute. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Oh, okay. This um, yeah. Okay. So speaking of species, like, so going into hybrids now, like, what do you think of griffins or just um? I think one of the really unique ones was a shark, like a shark dog canine type thing, and then they have like you know the face and the muzzle of a canine, and then they got the like little cute shark tail on the back. Oh yeah, I, I don't know what the name for those are, but um, the uh, oh, what was the one you you just said before that? Ah, uh, Griffin. Yeah. Uh, oh, the Griffins. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Griffin. I got a few of them I have to make. They're I I think Griffins are awesome. They're they're cool. Um, have you made? I wings? mean, it's, I haven't made wings yet. Oh. Uh, but one suit that I'm making uh, will have some wings on it. They're, I'd like to do like the arm wings that they're attached, but these ones are just like ones that sit on your back with like a, a backpack rig sort of thing. Um, but no, griffins are wild. I, I like hybrids a lot. Um, I, I'm not too fond myself of birds. Because so of the beak? <laughs> I know not so much because of the beak the, the beak can be a challenge sometimes but no i just i hate birds man oh no I, uh, that's not, don't say that <laughs> i'm sorry but i i was over a friend's house when i was i was young oh, i was like 13 14 and it's the first time i'm going over a girl's house and i sit on the couch and i'm just waiting patiently and i was talking to her mom her mom walks out and they have this big old macaw as soon as she walked out of this door this macaw came flying at me and it just straight bit my back and lashed oh, onto me. <laughs> so like ever since then, I'm like, I hate birds. I hate they have, like massive beaks. And yeah, they're scary. That hurt. Oh God. Okay. That's fair enough. That's, that sounds traumatizing to say the least. <laughs> well, imagine yeah, if that, imagine if it was a dog that bit you early on. Oh, there goes 95% of the furry fandom. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did get, attacked by a dog at a young age too but i dogs don't scare me i know dogs hmm. are great but no just birds i oh, they're man. they're a weird species to make with fursuits i think they they scare a lot of makers and i've made a few um my first one was kobe uh from Rear, and it, it came out awesome um for my first bird so yeah, I've, it, i forget the maker for one of these birds um I'm, have you ever heard of adler the eagle uh, i think his yes. suit just came out beautifully like his beak and his features are really spot on um yeah and i don't know i don't know whose maker that is necessarily 
Um, yeah, I can't place the name, but I, I know who it is you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're great. There's a few bird makers out there that just do phenomenal work, and uh, you know you got to give praise to them because it's <laughs> it's a lot. You have to do the yeah. full wings and beak placement on a suit. I'll tell you from experience, it's not easy. When you try to like attach cheek foam to the beak and you're trying to make it look like a natural flow, and you're yeah. you're making a really slender aerodynamic animal into like this cartoony thing it's really hard to translate um yeah especially if you want that flow like you said that has to be established yeah and with griffins i think it's a little bit easier in my mindset i just you know okay let's carve a dog but we're gonna slap ears on it but we're not gonna do a muzzle we're just gonna rip that off afterwards and we're gonna slap a beacon Mm. (laughs) done Something along those lines. <laughs> and then just oh. pray it holds together. <laughs> yeah, pray it holds together. <laughs> no, no, but um, no, I think hybrids are great. Uh, you know, we I make a lot of foxes. I make a lot of dogs. And it, you get burnt out doing the same things. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the characters are different. But I, I want to make... Say, yeah, you would, you would like to switch it up sometime and actually try a different whole other species? Yeah, like a, a refreshing character is always good for the mental state of a maker i think if you can make something that if i can make something that i want to make and make it the way that i want to make it i I think that's the best thing that someone could do you know you get to really unleash your creativity um and i have a lot of methods and stuff that i don't really get to try out and when i make pre-made suits a lot of that is just trial and error with new methods and um you know and i I stray away from traditional species like the foxes and the dogs. Like, uh, my next pre-made is it's going to be a bat. Um, I'm going to go pretty (laughs) wild. It's going to do like, it's going to have four ears on it. Um, is that going to be a partial or a full suit with the full wingies? Uh, I'm going to start it off as a partial. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Like to do with stuff like that is if someone grabs the partial suit, then they can go back to me for the upgrades and then they can purchase the parts at a later date. That's an, actually a really interesting business model too, because uh, yeah, the the partial industry is pretty big too for conventions. I see a lot of people that um, won't necessarily have like a character in mind, and then they see something that catches their eye, and they're like, "I just want to embody that that thing." Yeah, and and convention spaces and suits they they go hand in hand. You know, when furries go to cons, they would love a fursuit. And, and a lot of the times, people go to conventions with a, a bit of money in their pocket to mm-hmm. buy a suit if one catches their eye. And pre-made suits, honestly, in today's fandom, is one of the best ways to go because you can go to a con and you'll have a person whose first experience is there, and you get to give them their first suit, and. Uh, and after that, you can build relations. You can you have a new client. You have someone who's going to go back to you potentially, and you know you get to earn money off of that. The business lives, mm-hmm. and you know you get that, to make more people happy. Who's going to go to more attention or more conventions and advertise for you? It does bring up a really good, uh, really big uh, thing I wanted to ask you actually since the last conversation we had, and that was when you like make something that's one piece, like you make a whole suit that's tens maybe even hundreds of hours for some of just making that one character and when you have to send it off like do you feel like that's one of a kind and it, it took out like <laughs> so much of you like what is that kind of de- do you feel detached oh, afterwards or how do you feel some of the stuff we've made it goes so in depth um this one green and black head i made for this customer it goes by toxic his head had 137 individual pieces of fur on it there was wow there was five different types of black fur. There was seven different fur lengths in total. And, you know, every little detail to me counts. So when it when you do stuff like that, it takes a while. So mm-hmm. by the time I was done, I was over 100 hours into just that head, you know, split between my job. Um, and when you mail something off that you spent so much time on and you, you get to stand back and after all the pain and struggling, you, you get to – see it finished and it is one of the best feelings ever it's super <laughs> relieving for me and it, it's super sad to see it go through that door because yeah. i just i want to keep everything <laughs> i make when i'm done um especially the last suit Bowden came out wonderfully he's been our first digi yeah. suit beautiful since we, suit that we finished in a couple years and uh 
we we couldn't be happier and we couldn't be happier that he's happy with it and then yeah you're like the first suit mama or like, i guess the papa <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah first suit dad. yeah first suit dad. <laughs> and then i want to see myself someday where i have that group photo from you know you see that's, other makers that's why I, I think you should like host a panel or something sometime soon so people can just you know like really exhibit all of your beautiful work <laughs> yeah it I think next year is going to be a good year. We're going to do a lot of catching up. We're going to... For Furpok or... In general. Oh, for okay. Furpok, we do have big plans. Um, we're going to we're gonna devote a lot of time this year. My girlfriend has been a major help. We're going to get a lot of fursuit jewelry sculpted up, a lot of 3D printable objects. Um, mm. We're going to go pretty far with that. I'm doing a lot more resin casting, so we're going to have a lot of a new variety of parts to use with our suits. Um, other than that, we just want to, we want to work our queue down as best as we can. And we got a lot of crazy dogs to make this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so. really awesome to know. And like, that's sort of the direction you're heading for coming into the whole new decade for 2020. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I know it's been kind of haphazard and it's early in the morning <laughs> for me and maybe it's a little early for you there too, but I'm so glad that you could uh, make time out of your really busy schedule, especially, you know, with your quota and everything. So thank you so much. Um, is there anything else like, do you like to le let your followers know or anybody like in your space know what you're up to or um, any updates? Uh, I guess if it's anything that could be said, it's just, yeah, we're working one day at a time, and as we work, we'll get updates out there, and uh, we're going to make every single one of you as pretty as possible. <laughs> okay, but thank you so much, Blake. Just, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you.